Welcome to the Microgreens Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Krokmalden. Together, we'll explore the art of turning tiny seeds into a thriving microgreens empire, sharing insights, coveted secrets, and strategic wisdom from building one of Canada's largest microgreens farms. Stay tuned for thought-provoking conversations with leading figures in the world of microgreens. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we have Jacob Pinkston from Pinky's Micros in Nashville, Tennessee. On this episode, we'll dive into Jacob's very recent expansion from a 500 square foot space into a 3,000 square foot farm facility with capacity to grow up to 3,000 microgreen trays a week. And he did all this in just two years of operating his farm. We'll hear about Jacob's sales strategy with chefs and farmers markets and a very creative way he is repurposing leftover product. Jacob gives some great insights and wisdom into those starting and expanding a microgreens farm. This is a really great episode, so let's get right into it. Hey, Jacob. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you having me, Jonah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to chat with you today. This is going to be fun. Um, I'd love to kind of hear how you first got interested in microgreens and, uh, and how you kind of got down the path of starting your own farm, Pinky's Micros? So uh, in the beginning, um, like everybody would say, is I started this for the reason of wanting to do something for myself, but I have that also culinary background. So I knew what microgreens were when I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, um, worked in a restaurant, saw them, they're so pretty, foo-foo, all the flowers and whatnot, and all the little herbs and stuff that you can do. Um, but when I, when me and my wife met, um, we had a kid and then in 2021, uh, she was born. And then a month later, I was like, I need to find something to do. But I was also out of the restaurant world at that time for like three years, I was out of it, but also felt like I wanted to go back because I love the food industry. I, I, I love all the pretty plates, all the hard work that goes into a dish and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. So I was like, what can I do that's not here in Nashville? And I saw that microgreens um, during the pandemic, I was researching what can I do? And then I found microgreens were, were lagging in Nashville. And I took that upon myself to really push forward and try to provide to the local customers that you don't really see those in the grocery store. You see sprouts and stuff like that but not microgreens or a plethora of them, like variety of them. So that's what sparked an interest of like working for myself, also being able to provide for my little one and family, you know, food that's grown right on a shelf, right in my other room or something like that. Yeah, for sure. That That's, that's awesome. So you, so you worked in, in the restaurant industry for quite a few years prior. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then were you, so you said you're not originally from Nashville. Are you from Tennessee or from a different state? So I'm from uh, Aurora, Kentucky, Paducah area. So two, two and a half hours away from really Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's not crazy far how away. some of those states are so close together. I've driven from where I am in Toronto all the way to uh, Florida before. And you pass oh, wow. by the states and, and sometimes, yeah, it's, it's like 24 hours. It's, it's far. Uh, but uh, you pass by states and like you're sometimes you're in a state for like an hour or two. And then other times, like, you know, you're in a state for uh, like five, six hours before you get out. Uh, and it's just interesting. Yeah, I, I totally forgot how close Kentucky is to Tennessee. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, cool. So uh, it sounds like you're you're more in the restaurant scene, but do you sell exclusively to those customers or do you have other kind of customers that you sell to as well? So yes, I, I have restaurants and that's what's uh, getting us through like during the slow time and stuff like that. But when farmer's market season comes uh, for like six months, May through like uh, end of October, we really do that. We do like five or six farmer's markets trying to get our name out there and whatnot. Um, and we, we have loyal customers like this year, we have more loyal customers that's ordering through our website than the previous two years. Um, cause we're going into our third year of having our store and whatnot. Um, but I would say it's more restaurants that is, uh, with us, but also it's like probably at 30% of customers right now. It's like Christmas time and holidays. Nobody yeah. wants to eat greens. Some people do, um, but I, I give them credit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, to I totally know what you mean with that. Um, so the the farmer's markets, that's that's uh, interesting that you're doing five or six. So I'm guessing you're not doing them all on your own because that would be a lot of work. <laughs> so, uh, you have staff that help with, with managing the farmer's markets? So last year I did all the farmer's markets wow. plus restaurants. It was just like, there's no time um, because you go to the markets and you hope because you grow and hope to sell and whatnot. Yeah. And that, that's one thing, like it's, we'll see what happens in 2024. Um, but it's really a difficult thing to really do is just grow, hope to sell. And then we throw away, but we're also going to implement new things in 2024, like a freeze dryer and some other mm. kinds of things to preserve it, but also yeah. have the health benefits to it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot this year, 2023, I did hire somebody to help do farmer's markets and then, uh, realized that, you know, when she went back to school and college and stuff like that, I was like, I want to keep you, please stay. <laughs> yeah. So it was eye opener doing that. And plus on top of that, we had like six more restaurants added on this year so it was a lot of balancing and trying to keep up with production and whatnot and yeah it's a lot yeah it, it's it's having having said that there, there are definitely challenges with with expanding a microgreens business including staffing but it's 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 much better to be in a position where you have too much sales than to not have enough sales so i think that's you're, you're in a good position in, in in that aspect but i was i was in the exact same boat that you were in and i like kind of was was in a position where I was like, I could start hiring now, but I know it's going to be a lot of work to train people. So I just, yeah. I delayed it for, you know, maybe a year longer than I should have. Um, and mm -hmm. that, that kind of caused, I wouldn't say problems, but it just made, it made it extra hard on me because I had to train staff while also managing the like insane amount of production that we were doing. I don't even know what it was. It was like, I don't know. It must've been like four or 500 trays at least a week, just managing it all on my own. <laughs> Having said that, I had a lot of equipment, so it wasn't like I was yeah. doing everything by hand, but still it was, it, it was, it, it was pretty intense. Yeah, um, so I totally get where you're coming from being in that position and then, you know, finding a, some, a good staff, but then they got to go back to school and you're like, no, don't leave. Yeah, so I yeah. totally, I totally get where you're coming from there. Well, I do have my uh, brother-in-law. He, he's been like the, the back man that does like the soiling of the trays and, portion out the seeds and helping oh. me packages some some things like sorting out sunflower is really a uh, a pain in the butt but because we don't wash them we want uh extra life shelf 
on mm-hmm. for for customers and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so we we want that uh, so we don't wash. So we pick all the seed holes. We look at the defects and stuff like that. So he he's been a big big help of helping um, doing all the back end too. Oh, that's nice. That's great to have. Yeah, that that must be a huge a huge relief for you because to to do all of that plus sales plus mar- like five markets six markets that's like man that's a lot of work. <laughs> Oh yeah. And then there's some markets that like try to say, Hey, can you do this market? I'm like, I'm already dedicated to another market. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen some farms do really well at farmer's markets where they'll have a dedicated staff that that's their job pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it sounds like you're doing like multiple jobs right now. It sounds oh, like yeah. you're doing like multiple full-time jobs. So I've seen that model work where like you hire seasonal staff, they work four or five days a week doing markets. And then it kind of uh, alleviates your time as the owner to kind of do the other things that are, that are needed. Um, and it's kind of a fun job for people, you know, like it's oh, yeah. like people that are really social. I think it's a, a great job for them because they just get to talk to people about something they're passionate about. And uh, yeah, which I'm sure is why you love it too. Oh yeah. I like yeah. I, people have told me, that they come to really talk to me not to buy the products, but talk to me because I'm selling the brand and I'm like talking to them about this stuff, but also talking about, you know, how they're doing, how I'm doing and whatnot. How's the brand? How's the business? All that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like a relationship with your customers face to face. Yeah. And, and I think one, one thing that I've becoming more and more aware of is, is how, how aware people are of like the passion that someone like yourself that's starting a business, you know, it's like, you know, it takes a lot of courage and guts to start a business, you know, like, like <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. So I feel like there's a lot of passion that drives people like yourself and, and, and myself as well. And people really want to engage with that. So I think there is like a value of having yourself at the farmer's market. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just trying to find the balance between like, you know, all the other stuff you, you got to do to manage oh, yeah. the business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, w- what would you say, I guess, on the restaurant side and the farmer's market side, what the most popular products are for those two markets? So I would say for like the, the customer base, like, uh, farmer's markets and our online is this mostly like cilantro herbs and stuff like that is very, very popular. So we've, we've had issues where we run out in a week and we're growing like 25 30 trays and we we sold out um like the third farmer's market and it's like oh okay that's great that's wonderful uh broccoli is as well and sunflower as well pea shoots is an iffy um some people buy them during the spring and then they don't want it anymore um so it's weird yeah like i like pea shoots i love them in stir fries and sandwiches and whatnot uh, yeah. For the restaurants, it's mostly basil, um, a red amaranth. Um, what else? Basil, red amaranth, and uh, somewhat cilantro. Uh, but our our specialty mix is our other another or another one. Our we call it our pinky special. Oh, cool! Is it is it just like brassicas, or is it ha- does it have herbs in it as well? It doesn't have herbs in it because some people don't like yeah. the like the cilantro taste or anything. So we keep it pretty mild. Like we keep we put like a uh, Swiss char in there or a beet, and then we do like a brassica, like arugula, uh, kale, uh, broccoli, that kind of those popular ones. 
And then we add like purple radish for some color, some pop, some yeah. spice kind of thing to it. Um, so that, that one is a popular one in the restaurant. Cool. Nice. Um, I was going to, I was just very curious because it's always interesting to hear the kind of geographic differences in what's popular. Like there's certain ones like broccoli that are just kind of across the board, mm -hmm. everyone like just on a retail side um, or like consumer side. Um, but it's really interesting that cilantro is, is that popular. And I was just thinking, cause I was on, uh, I can't remember which podcast I was on like another gardening podcast and they were like, kind of asking like, what is the benefit of growing microgreens like in a climate that is like, as, as just as a home consumer, uh, a climate that is pretty warm that you could in theory grow greens outside in the winter. And I was saying mm -hmm. like cilantro is one where in the hot Tennessee summer is pretty difficult to grow outside. Like yeah. it's, it's, you know, like even in our climate and there's a couple of months where it can be quite difficult. So I can imagine there's like a, you know, not just not microgreens in general, just cilantro in general is hard to grow locally for a period of time in, in the heat. Um, so I was just curious. I was like wondering like what's causing that to me, like it's delicious. So I understand oh, yeah. why people want it. You know, <laughs> it's one of my favorite. It's hard to eat regular cilantro. Um, mm -hmm. once, once you try it, I find, uh, but having said that it's, it's very interesting that it's the most popular on, on the, the retail front. Cause it's a, it's really for a lot of people, it's like hit or miss. Some people love it and some people hate it. Oh yeah. Every time I hear the same old, re like, it's like scratching the record, like, oh, yeah. it tastes like soap. I have that gene and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, ah, yeah. I wish yeah. I could like try that out for a day, but not because I love, I love it. It's good in Mexican food. And oh yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. It's kind of funny because there used to be this gum I ate as a kid. It was like Willy Wonka. It was like soap flavored gum. Oh, and yeah. I loved it. it. I don't think it actually, I've never actually eaten soap. So I don't know what real yeah. soap tastes like, but it was like meant to taste like soap. And I thought it was, I thought it was really good. I remember I used to always buy it as a kid. It was like this purple gum. I don't know. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't really know. But oh. uh, it was uh, soap flavored and, and I thought it tasted like really good gum. So um, I, I was wondering like what it would taste like to have cilantro taste like soap, but I guess I'll never know. But I remember I had right. some, some distributor customers that were just like, get this away from here. We can't like <laughs> smell this, but it was like, we'll buy it from you, but we just can't have it near us because like, because uh, we, we can't stand the smell. Some people just love it. And, and I'm, I'm one of those. Yeah. And tacos, there's almost nothing better than, than, uh, <laughs> than having fresh micro cilantro in a taco. Oh yeah. Like I know that one restaurant, they switched over to us because somebody put cilantro in the blend and we were like, oh, well we can provide basic cause they're it, it, like Italian kind of uh restaurant. And they're like, we will buy basil from you constantly. I'm like, okay, I'll grow for you. It, yeah. It's, it's nice for me. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that there, there, there's some trends like, like basil that is quite common uh, to be popular in, in restaurants. Um, but I wonder if how much that is restaurant dependent because we always sold through distributors. So I never got the, like mm. this type of restaurant uses cilantro, this type of restaurant uses basil. Have you found like a, a certain type of cuisine that's more likely to use the basil microgreens versus like, I don't know, the, 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 the mix that you sell? Uh, I would say more Italian forward is like basil um and then like uh cilantro a lot of people add it on certain dishes but we haven't really had any like um mexican or spanish like restaurants um come on board with us and i i, I would say basil's for italian cilantro is for like maybe a health food store or uh, you know 
uh, Italian, not Italian, but uh, Mexican kind of cuisine and whatnot. Um, everybody else is mostly just like, just give me whatever for avocado toast. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess in, in certain scenarios, it like really makes a difference. Um, and then in other scenarios, it, it could just be like a garnish that does the, yeah. the as long as that's some sort of like aesthetic appeal and flavor, mm -hmm. then they'll be happy with it. Yeah, that's yeah. what we do with our pinky pinky special. We we have that and a lot of people just add that on top because of the color and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Like, okay, yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so let's start diving into uh, production. I'd love to kind of hear, um, your, your, it sounds like your week will be like different than some, maybe some other growers given. It sounds like you're a hardworking man. So I'd love to hear like kind of what your, what your average week looks like, you know, obviously in the summer is going to be different than the winter, but maybe, mm -hmm. you know, going into January, what an average week kind of looks like as an owner of Pinky's uh, Micro. So uh, with this coming year, I'm like hopefully, hopefully expecting like more and more people, you know, health, new me new you kind of thing going on so um right now we i we work every day i've been doing that for going on to three years to just you know establish the business that's that's what's um uh, required of a small business kind of thing so yeah. as of right now it is uh mondays we harvest for some restaurants um that want like um deliveries on monday and then deliveries on fridays so we do that and then tuesday we go to like a market that um they uh people buy online it's an online market it's called market wagon so they go we we drop it off at this distribution kind of center and then they go and uh deliver it and then wednesday we go to a different part of tennessee like murfreesboro and stuff like that to deliver to a restaurant and this other online store and then thursday is pretty much our planting day um for the following week and stuff like that and then friday is another delivery but also again prepared for our all year round farmers market on saturday and then we're uh, getting orders in online and we're getting those prepared those are cut off at 10 p.m on friday and then saturday we go to the farmer's market and then just pretty much uh, come back here, fulfill Sunday's orders, harvest and package and bag. And then Sunday morning, we're pretty much just out delivering for like four or five hours because Nashville is pretty big because um, we go everywhere because we, we want to ex expand this uh, business and whatnot. Um, so it's just seven days a week. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel you on that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, uh, uh it, it's very impressive that you've got like, like three years for that taking time off is, is very impressive. Um, I, I was in the same boat where it, I, I, I literally couldn't, I used to, I used to go yeah. and, uh, in the summers to get like an equivalent of taking time off, I would start at like 6am, get all the work done in a few hours on like a weekend and then go drive somewhere and go hike or something like that. Just to like, feel like I have uh, a weekend. <laughs> Uh, I think the more technology uh, that's becoming available, like like watering watering systems, for example, could allow yeah. people to kind of not have to go to the farm on, let's say, a weekend, depending on, like in your scenario, I think it's unavoidable given your deliveries and the farmer's market on Saturday. Mm -hmm. But you could have like, a, I don't know, let's say Thursday, if let's say mm -hmm. your, your, your family member is helping, like could be your potential first day off. And I can tell you once you once you have that, it's like, 
it feels really nice, especially after doing it for so long to yeah. start having a little bit more time to yourself. It's almost at first, it's almost a little overwhelming. So you're like, what do I do with my time? But, uh, <laughs> but you get you used check to it in all then, the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Like, like you're definitely hustling hard, but it, it, it definitely pays off because people can see it. Customers can see it. And, you know, they, the, your product quality, as, as I've seen online, you can really see how high quality the product is. And I think that will propel you forward in, in the next stage of your business. Um, so yeah, like in terms of, uh, uh, disease and prevention in production, have you noticed much of, you know, usually dampening off is a big one for microgreens farms. Um, yeah. but do you like in your growth space, have you noticed any sort of pressure from disease or pests? So we just moved in beginning of December and we're still trying to get this place settled and whatnot. Um, but this new space has been great because it's more controlled environment. We have an HVAC now instead of a mini split uh, unit. And then we have dehumidifiers at the bigger space. Um, we might encounter more dampening off like we did in our old space. Um, and we just had dehumidifiers pretty much. Um, they weren't like the Quest or high-end ones. Uh, well, they still cost a pretty penny, but um, the Quest one is our uh, is our list of things that we're gonna get in the in the next year, and whatnot. Uh, but that right now, everything's been dry. Everything's been watering. Uh, we water by hand. We're trying to kind of we're gonna implement automation watering and stuff like that um but yeah like pests and disease we do encounter like fungus gnats and stuff like that um and that's just with the soil that we use as the pro mix um bell um and it's hard to get away from that uh, we put the sticky traps and stuff like that and you can see that whole thing fill up <laughs> yeah um but we we sanitize our uh with zero tall um and whatnot we we scrub everything we clean everything in our three compartment sink and and having the background of like, you know, scrub, rinse, sanitize, repeat nice. and whatnot. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You got, you got the right, the right order, uh, which took me too long to learn. Um, but, uh, that, that, congratulations on, on expanding it into, into a new space. I know it's a, it's a big step. It can be definitely overwhelming at times. Like, you know, when you're moving stuff and you're trying to keep production going. And, uh, so it, yeah, it's, uh, um, that's great that, that you're moving forward. So how, how, how big is the, is the space? Like, do you, you have room to grow for a while in there? Oh yeah, we, we have room to grow for a while. We can actually, uh, enclose some of these spaces and stuff like that to get more racks in here. We can, we predicted if, if we do the racks that we have now and keep on doing that, we could grow about 2,500 to 3,000 trays wow. a week. Wow. Um, where it's a 3000 square foot space, um, on the second floor. So you have to lug everything up, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but we, on the installed a crane so we can nice. hoist everything up. Uh, but we also have a room that's closed off where we're going to start expanding into more varieties of flowers and more edible other types of plants and whatnot. So we got a lot of room to expand. We're awesome. just trying to get all that staged and whatnot. That, that's amazing. Yeah, you, that's yeah, that's a that's a big jump. Uh, and but, <laughs> from but five hundred. Yeah, yeah, and also from from the perspective of like it's a pain to move, so it's often better to like I don't want to say overexpand because it is expensive, but like just from a 
a lifestyle perspective, it's a, you know, it's, it's stressful to move everything and get everything going again. So like, if you can have a bigger space and you know that you have a plan to grow into it, um, it's much better than having to constantly like move to like an extra 250 square feet and, and move every year sort of thing. Um, are you using the two, the five, like the standard, uh, Baker's racks, five levels. Is that how you guys are growing? Uh, so we grow six on six levels. So we grab, we have our 18 by 48, uh, inch racks. Um, and then put our lights on there and then fans and whatnot. So we can grow about 23 or 24. Yeah. Uh, 24. Yeah. 24 rack or 24 yeah. trays. Uh, yeah. right now we're in production of like 300, 310 right now or so. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And since like we moved, we, we had to skip a week because it was just so stressful of planting. Yeah. So that threw us off, but also in a way it's like Christmas time. So it helps in a way yeah, um, for sure. but yeah we're we're ready <laughs> yeah I, I was actually looking into how could someone either in their house or in a commercial facility continue to use the baker's racks i think there's a lot of value in in using it because it's it's much more modular for uh mm -hmm. you know like like in certain ways it doesn't work as well necessarily for automated watering but you can do it like there's a video on on uh, youtube now of, uh, of the tour of Boston Microgreens, they did it. So it's definitely doable okay. to have the, the watering done with flood tables on those baker's racks. Um, but I was thinking like, you don't get as much height. So yeah, you get six levels, which is great. But so they actually make the poles, like even Uline sells them. You can get eight, nine, I think even 10 feet um, oh, wow. of, of the pole. So you can, in theory, like pretty easily modify, like just take the shelves you have with the lights hooked up to them and just like buy the pieces you need and have them go up even higher. Now, like you have enough space now for a while, but just <laughs> like as an example for people that are running out of space or um, just want to have like a more like centralized production in a smaller area, you can, you can go higher. You just have to use a ladder at that point. So there's a little mm -hmm. bit like, you know, safety hazard slash, you know, a little bit extra work because each level higher upstairs, you have to spend a little more time because you have to walk up it. You have to bring the hose if you're watering, you have to, to check them and all that stuff. So there's a little bit extra work, but for someone in a tight space, um, it's a great option that you can, it's like completely compatible with those Baker's racks. And I wasn't okay. sure if that was available. I was like, wow, that's great for people. You said Uline. Uline has them. I think you can find them elsewhere. Uline's probably, usually I find they're a little more expensive than other mm. places, but um, I just did a quick search and I saw they had them on Uline. I was like, okay, this is good to know for people if they do have higher ceilings, like, cause you can get the ones that we ha that have are like, I think six, six feet or seven feet, the standard ones. So you can, in theory, in a standard home, you can go up to eight feet. Cause that's usually what a ceiling is. So you can get mm -hmm. an extra couple levels in there and maybe get eight instead of six, which, you know, for a small space is you want to maximize as much as you can before oh, you have to yeah. move. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just, just a tip for people that uh, are curious about that. Uh, and then I was going to mention in terms of the fungus gnats, I've noticed that farms that grow edible flowers often run into that issue more commonly than if you're just growing microgreens. Um, but the, uh, uh, if you do want it, to, if you did want to get rid of it, you can with a, with a nematode um, that is pretty much, it'll just like eat the eggs of the fungus gnats, but you have to kind of do it once a week. You have to spray the, the like the, all the trays once a week with the nematodes. It's completely natural. There's no like, like pesticide. It's just like a biological control, um, but it can get a bit pricey, especially as you get more and more trays. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's a lot harder to manage for sure when you have edible flowers, but the demand is just, there's more and more demand for 
edible flowers, it seems like. Have you noticed that as well on your end? Oh, yeah. Like um, more and more restaurants, more of our fancier restaurants always ask us, do you have edible flowers? Do you have this? Do you have that? And I'm like, well, eventually we will. 2024 is coming. So we're yeah. we're going to expand that way. But when we just did microgreens last year and then we expand into like viola flowers and um, we tried to do the uh, corn flowers, we're going to do those again. We did those outside. Um, they're called uh, bachelor buttons and whatnot. Um, but fungus gnats was an issue because of the edible flowers because they're, they're sitting there for a while yeah. and whatnot, instead of yeah. a fast turnover rate. In your in your new space, do you have any like outdoor space you could utilize in the because most of the year you could grow outside, I think, in your climate. Yeah, uh, flowers, but I don't know if that's viable. Not not here just because we're on the second floor and it's a commercial yeah. property. So uh, it's hard to do anything outside. So we have to contain everything inside. Yeah, that's it. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so what, what kind of, what are your plans kind of look like for 2024 in terms of expansion? So obviously you just had a huge physical <laughs> space expansion, but in terms of, of customers, do you have any, uh, like, like goals or, or, or plans, planned increases in, in production that you're planning to, to achieve in, in the next year? So, uh, hoping that we'll be able to expand into the edible flowers, get more like bars, more like restaurants that have uh, a microgreens person already, which is probably Cisco Creation Garden. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to put that in there, like our edible flowers and different varieties that, you know, don't wither in a day where our viola flowers, some people have told us that they've had it for a month in their, in their fridge. And I'm like, what? Uh, that's what. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, and like some chefs have told me that it, yeah, they buy from somebody and they only last like three to five days, where ours have been lasting a week or to a month. And I'm like surprised and shocked. But we're going to expand in that, get more bars, more restaurants, and then hopefully that will tag along into buying microgreens that are a little bit faster crops and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're going to hopefully expand into like freeze drying and doing different kinds with the popular microgreens. We already do the freeze dry broccoli, but we want to expand into the sunflowers and pea shoots and stuff like that where they're shelf stable and last like, you know, 20 years on the pantry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always I've always wanted to do it, but the way I thought always thought of it is like it's a it's really in a way a separate business. It's great. It's mm -hmm. a great strategy to minimize uh like to to utilize waste product from a farmers market as an example because mm -hmm. if the weather's bad, there's it's inevitable that less people are going to come. So I think that's a great strategy in that sense. Have you found it's been like a lot of labor or work to to actually dry them and and package them and, and that sort of thing? It, in a way not really, uh, just because uh, we, we buy that the freeze dryer that is like well known. Um, I forgot the name of it. I don't have it here right now. It's at home, but I'm bringing it over here soon. But um, we have that one and it's like four trays with the most the what takes the most is the growing part. We grow broccoli for like a week and a half or so um, and get bigger yield out of it. And then we'll freeze dry. It'll take about like 12, 13 hours and whatnot. And then packaging is fairly simple. We don't grind it into a powder or anything. We keep it as oh, is. 
a lot of people grind it into a powder and it's like well people want that like look to it like we want it to look like dried herbs almost why not so you can pinch it and just sprinkle it on eggs or like put it in a smoothie and whatnot and yeah yeah it's that not it's a, not that hard yeah oh yeah so how much a, how much like if you put in x amount of like like what's the most you can put in one batch dried or or, or, or fresh product and then how much do you get out dried for one one batch in, in the, um, the freeze you have so the freeze dryer we have is four shells we put on each shelf eight ounces of fresh so that's about uh, two pounds there and what we get out of it is about eight to almost nine cans and they're five grams of dried product so trying to convert that over to grams it it gives us about like almost like 40 40 grams or so um so trying to figure that equation it's like i think there's 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 starting to be a bigger market than there used to be for that. Like I think AG one, this is, this is one thing that I really like that, that people often think of like competition as a way of uh, like making less demand for you because you're going to have more competition, but I've actually found the opposite where like, as an example, if there's more micro growers in your area, more people will be aware of it and there'll be more demand for it. And then it's up to you mm. to fill the demand that's, that's there. And it's the same thing. Like I feel like five years ago or even 10 years ago, green powders were like a real far out there, like hippie kind of thing. And now yeah. with AG1, that it's just advertised everywhere. Like people think of greens powder as like a, 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 like a daily normal supplement that you take. And I think that's allowing for a sub segment of that market in microgreens being freeze dried that is expanding out. Cause like I've heard a lot, like in the last year, I've heard a lot of people starting to freeze dry microgreens as, as a potential like add on to their business. Um, mm -hmm. I've been a bit more hesitant because of the work involved, but it like, I think from a demand perspective, it's, it's definitely viable from a demand perspective. And then it just depends mm -hmm. on the numbers. So it's like really mm -hmm. educating the consumer that, Hey, this is only five grams, but this is the equivalent of X amount of fresh product. And this is like a lot of microgreens, like nutrient wise, cause microgreens are more nutrient dense. Um, that, cause that would be my initial like reaction as a consumer would be like, Oh, it's only five grams. But then when you realize what the equivalent nutritional value is, it's like, wow, that's actually pretty, pretty, uh, substantial. Yeah. What we tell people is like, it's about five to six ounces worth of broccoli or four, four to five ounces really of fresh broccoli that's been fresh, uh, pushed in there and filled in the can cause it's a small can. And it's about 14 servings, depending on, on the usage. And it's like one to two, two teaspoons, like a day or so. So you get about, mm -hmm. you know, 14 days worth out of it. And it's only a little bit and you still yeah. get the max nutrients that you need. It's like 98% more vital nutrients, uh, or that's contained in there and not, yeah. you know, through a de dehumid dehumidifier that like only 30% of it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've always heard of like freeze dried ra raspberries are amazing because they, they have like the texture, they have like a nice crunch to them. Um, but yeah, like I know I used to de I actually, when I first grew microns years ago, I used to dehydrate them, but it was so, I remember being so slow and then grinding it oh, up yeah. and you're like, this is what I got, but it was pretty small. Yeah. 
I don't know how much you can actually fit and how much I was able to fit in there, but it's just interesting how much it's changed and you know, how, how much more common freeze drying is, but that, that's cool that, that like, you know, it's a great way to re, to utilize the leftover product from farmer's markets, you know, mm-hmm. um, and especially with the, the demand side that there's starting to be more demand for that. So that's cool that you, that you're doing that. I think that, that, that market I think will also grow going into oh, yeah. the next year, you know, um, especially in January when everyone's doing their, their health kick. Healthy greens. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so how, how many varieties of microgreens? I didn't ask this earlier. How many varieties of microgreens are you growing? So right now we're up to 26, 28, just depends on something, but we can grow 50 plus, um, varieties. We've, we've tested a lot of them. Like we are growing right now, like uh, curly watercress. So it's like that pepperiness, different kind of thing. Uh, we tried watercress by itself, but that one was a pain in the butt, but the curly one grows like a weed. It's like yeah. Nebraska almost. And it's pretty cool, but we keep on adding stuff on like sage. We added that for Thanksgiving and whatnot. And that was pretty fast and easy too. It, it was fun. Uh, and then we do several, uh, we do like other types though. So it's, it's growing. It's just, we don't, we're trying to not grow everything and then hope to sell. We're trying to like, Hey, restaurants, this is what we can grow. This is what we have available is about 26 of these, but here's 50 plus varieties. If something's not on there, we'll look into it and grow it for you. Awesome. Yeah. And do you do a grow to order model for, for restaurants or do you like, how does that kind of work? So yeah, most restaurants are grow to order. There is some restaurants that are so used to the Cisco and creation garden kind of thing. So I tell them that like, look, order whenever you want. Um, I'll grow a tray for you and have it available uh, every week. If not, then I can just sell it at a farmer's market or something like that. Um, but if it becomes like, oh, you want eight basils, you don't want that weekly, but then um, I haven't heard from me in three weeks, then it's annoying because I'm yeah. wasting so much product. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that that's one of the more challenging parts of uh, sometimes working with restaurants or with chefs directly is that like <laughs> they, 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 they may not understand like the growing process. So there's a lot of chefs that really are delved deep into like gardening and farming and understand mm-hmm. their farms, understand the complexities of growing and that, you know, uh, that you can't just make it appear overnight sort of thing. But then there's some that, you know, chefs that are just so focused on the the culinary side that they may not understand um, that, that complexity uh, in growing. So yeah, it, it, you know, it, 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 it's still worth it because there's so much demand and, and there's probably so many great relationships you can build with chefs, especially for someone like you that came from the that industry. I think it's like a perfect fit. Um, I kind of moved away from it faster because I knew that it was going to be more logistical work and I was just trying to focus on on production. Yeah. Um, in, ter- yeah. in terms of sage, uh, that's one I, like, I was going to ask the next <laughs> question was like, some, like if there's any unique or exotic migraines you've grown. So obviously most people know what sage, sage tastes like. But mm-hmm. I actually haven't ever grown it as a microgreen. How long does it take to grow? That it's almost like basil. Um, so it, it's smaller, like seeds, or it's bigger seeds, like little big ones. But uh, it's about like five to six grams, and then we we put it under weight for like a couple of days to start to see, and then put it under a dome, put it under light, uh, and then 
after it starts to shoot and then you take the dome off and just keep it under light. So it's, it took about three to almost four weeks. Okay. Um, but some people want them a little bit bigger. Um, so we grow a little bit longer and whatnot. And then we just harvest the stem and we're like, here you go. You can pluck the things off. Cause some chefs are like, well, this is supposed to be a microgreen. I'm like, well, then like nasturtium and stuff like that. Yeah, we we yeah. keep them on the stems just because so they can last a little bit longer because that's their lifeline almost. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So how, how big does the sage get in that time frame? Um, it's, 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 leaves? it's got multiple leaves. Uh, so it could be a micro could not be a micro it's, it's borderline kind of thing. Um, yeah. because when, when it's growing, it's, it's having the true leaf. Um, and then some people are like thinking micro stage as like a little leaf almost, but it's like mm -hmm. to get that little leaf or a little bit bigger of a leaf, you have to let it grow to make two more leaves and whatnot. Yeah. So it's like, it's borderline micro not micro. So I wonder if uh, that would be a crop that you can like re-harvest from the same tray. Cause it, it's kind of like, it's a perennial, but I don't mm -hmm. know if that would actually work. I, I was just thinking that maybe that that would be something that's worth to experiment to get the, the, the cost of production down. Again, I don't know if it would actually work. It's just an idea that I was thinking if you cut, like if you let it grow a bit higher and then cut not the, the those cotyledons off, just the, the mm -hmm. tree leaves and then have it regrow from from there uh just because it's it's a slower crop right so it's a little right a little uh, extra work in that sense yeah it's like the the red panda sorrel we grow here uh they those take a while to grow too and whatnot so it's like we're we harvest the whole tray just because we get to we grow like about 20 trays or so um and we keep like we grow every week like six to ten depending on nine they take about like that some people want bigger leaves uh but some people want smaller leaves so it's like we choose which one is fit for the harvest and whatnot but those you know keep on growing back and growing back and yeah. we're trying to look into just keeping not as many trays growing so we can like harvest the little leaves that the chefs are wanting but it's like maybe like the sage yeah just harvesting it and seeing like if it grows like peas pea shoots and stuff yeah. like that yeah. yeah yeah it's it's you never know what the quality is going to be you know like when you regrow something because the plant's obviously a bit stressed out but it's definitely mm -hmm. worth an experiment because if you can save the time on those long crops and get more more out of those trays that that would be you know a huge time saver and and, and space saver for those that are limited on space but now you have uh <laughs> seemingly unlimited space for uh you know i think it'll be faster than you think but but three thousand trays 2500 three thousand that's 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 a that's a pretty, it's a pretty substantial operation yeah yeah so um i'm excited maybe we'll have you back on when you when you're uh go through like you know you get a bunch of more customers and the the new set of lessons you learn um but I'd, I'd love to kind of get to that part of the podcast which is like what you know kind of recommendations and challenges that you've had in, in starting this business and expanding it um did you find any crops that you know required more time to perfect the growing recipe uh, yeah, early on, like cilantro, trying to get the seed holes off of it. Uh, and also basil was a little bit of a headache. It was just mostly I was planting at like eight to 10 grams of seeds. And I was like, oh, this is a lot. And it was working. And, but it wasn't getting that pretty true leaf kind of effect. Yeah. So I had to reduce it down, keep on trial and error, trial 
and then now we're at a pretty good standing of like like we can grow it in like two and a half to three weeks um i know like uh, i've heard from you uh listening to the podcast and stuff like that they like warmer temperatures and stuff like that and i'm like yeah that makes sense because you see it on in, at kroger or any other grocery store they're not in the fridge they're out yeah. out in the opening and whatnot so cilantro and basil was the ones that we have finally perfected uh seeds is a big uh factor uh on getting quality seeds so that is like where our issue lies now is like trying to find the best seeds and whatnot and trying to have that good uh lot and and germ rate and whatnot so that's the only issue that we have the growing process is fairly nice and easy yeah yeah for for us for for basil we kind of what what started out like it, it's where we kind of had our niche in our market so that was a big focus um, so that's why we ended up having such warm temperatures. And it was just kind of a side benefit that those warm temperatures for most crops helped quite a bit also speed up growth. But I've realized as I'm doing testing in my home now, and I'm it's maybe 72, 73 in here. It's not, mm-hmm. not 80, you know, it's not as warm. Um, but I have the lights closer, kind of like you, where I'm, or I can get, I'm using a baker's rack where I, it's like maybe 10, nine to 10 inch spacing. I find I'm getting, cause it kind of gives off a bit of heat. I'm getting similar results, uh, in some cases, even better results than, um, than at the farm, which is really interesting. So some crops may have actually had a little bit of a detriment from the heat, but I know for a crop like basil, like it, it, it there's, it, it definitely is helped <laughs> by that, uh, increase in temperature for sure. Um, and yeah, and like, and it's when I talk to a lot of farms and, and it takes longer, like it's, it's gotta be the temperature. That's the only thing mm-hmm. I can really think of that it takes longer. Um, with cilantro, with the hulls, was it just putting weight on uh, for longer that fixed that problem? Yeah, yeah, L- weight longer and just uh, making sure that, that the top layer had, had soil and whatnot, like covering them up and whatnot and keeping it moist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what we do is just pretty much portion our seeds out, have our like half or almost like three-fourths of a tray and then put the seeds on. Uh, put the soil on it, wet it down. And also the issue is this time not overwater it because you'll end up having, you know, rot um, yeah. like spots and stuff like that. So yeah, keeping the weight on it a little bit longer um, helps a lot to keep the seed holes off and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Are you are using the, the, the split seed, the monodrim seed or using the, the whole seed? The, the split, yeah, the okay. split. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing I'm trying, I'm still trying to figure out now what because like i didn't really care to be honest about the seed halls like chefs that we worked with through distributors didn't honestly really care um some of them actually liked it because it had that really nice like we got we got uh really good lots of seed and it was so floral like it was crazy how strong <laughs> the smell was from from the the like it's a coriander seed uh which is cilantro um but but i've heard from some people that using a non-split seed makes it easier to get the hulls off but i haven't tested it yet i i just like didn't really mind having the seed hulls, but I know there's mm-hmm. a lot of, I guess the chefs must be saying like, Hey, we want it without the seed hulls. Um, cause it seems that most growers are trying to, trying to perfect that, that recipe for cilantro to get the hulls off. Yeah. We, we still have like some that have seed hulls, some don't. We, we had an issue where our split seeds didn't come in. So we had to quickly order what was available and we had the, the whole seed. Um, and, it seemed like it, it, they're growing the same way. 
just keeping the weight on there a lo- little bit longer. The the one that hasn't been split um, actually grew a little bit slower, just a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, but the split one grew very quick, um, very well and whatnot. Um, so that I, I go with the split speed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's good to know that you did that testing because I think it'll save some some people some time in uh, mm-hmm. in doing that. Um, I, one one thing that would be cool is if they were able to find a way to like get the seeds out of because you know there's multiple seeds in a beet seed. No, mm-hmm. I I didn't grow many beets because like I, I I focused on amaranth because it seemed that there was more demand for that. Even though it's really hard to grow to get <laughs> yeah. a, good, a good crop, it's just like it, it's a t- it's a it's 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 a really tough one. Um, oh. But if they were able to split beet seeds, I think that would be great. I don't know how they would actually do it, but because like there's yeah. like four or five seeds in each beet seed, apparently. So hmm. uh, like if 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 you can get the seeds out, you can evenly disperse them better, just like cilantro, yeah. right? Because you don't have two to attach. Because if you have the more you have together, close together, the more chance of mold uh, can form. Mm-hmm. So having them split would prevent that. Um, which is one of the issues I found with cilantro was the, like, you know, just mold was more prevalent, um, uh, in the growth of, of cilantro than let's say like broccoli as an example. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah the beets, so like we, we grew beets and we did really well with that. And then we got seed, seed lots and we'd still use the same like grams, like seed density and stuff like that. And then we find out that it grew a lot more in the tray and then died off because yeah. we, we thought, Oh, okay, well, it's a different lot. It's a different seed. It it came from somewhere else actually. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, if, if they can find a way, that'd be nice and yeah. know what you're going to plant and how many you're going to plant. Yeah. 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 Cause I, when I started, I don't believe that cilantro split seed was a thing to, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah. So like, cause I, when I started, I was using regular, well, I didn't grow cilantro in the first few years. It was only several years later, but I remember, I don't think there was split seed when I first started growing it. And then it became a thing and I was like, Oh, interesting. I'll try that. And I was like, wow, this is definitely, it seemed, it seemed yeah. better, but you know, when you, what I find is when you do things for so long, it's always good to re-experiment with things. Um, that's one mm-hmm. thing that I learned that was really help, helpful for me to improve my production system was like, there'd be something I try and then I changed my soil, I changed my seed suppliers, I changed my lights. And then I'm like, oh, well, that thing didn't work then. So maybe it won't work now. And then I remember I was started thinking, okay, maybe I should try certain things again. As an example, I didn't grow sunflower for many years because I couldn't get the hulls to come off efficiently. Oh, yeah. And then <laughs> and then once I found uh, uh, a good lot of seed and then had stronger lights, um, I was really able to like reduce the amount of time it takes to that, that it was, it didn't make sense for our farm to grow uh, sunflower again. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's always great to like re try things that you tried years ago. Cause it, you, so many things change in your production system that it may, it may actually work better now than it did back then. Yeah. Yeah. We we're switching up our soil or we have, we talked to our local supplier and stuff like that to see if we can get this seed in it's pro mix so we used to use pro mix bx and we just found that that held a lot more water water yeah. retention and stuff like that and i think you and i have talked about that um before uh through the instagram chat and now we've finally switched to like mp and stuff like that where it's a little bit less or less water retention and stuff and now things are drying out more so we had to be on it and it's like should we hit the gun on automating watering because 
Yeah, that, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I told, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, there, there is definitely like a learning curve when you automate watering that you know it, it's, it's less. There's less control in a sense, um, mm -hmm. but there's like so there's there's certain things where the good thing is like with HP it, it does work a lot better than BX. So like when I talk to farms that use BX. Um, and they're considering, you know, automating watering as an example, I'm like, you should probably try testing out HP, um, because it, it just holds less water. And, you know, when you're, when you're bottom watering with an automated system, you can't have it be like 30 seconds and then it's done, you know, it's gotta, mm. it's gotta go through its kind of cycle. So there's a little less control, but I, I think it's well worth the, the time savings. And it also makes it consistent. So like if, for example, when you hire people, um, they, they may water slightly differently than you. Whereas if you just have a mm. program doing it, you know, it's going to be the same. So it kind of eliminates that potential like human error aspect of certain things. Same thing with like the seeding machine that we're creating. Um, it's like, it, it kind of eliminates for if someone else is doing it, that it'll be even, it'll be the right amount of seed every time. So it just kind of eliminates that human error step along with the efficiency. But I think that that's a big thing I've seen where, you know, if you're sprinkling seed, Often when the owner does it, it might be different than when a staff does it. Now, it doesn't mean you can't find staff that can do it, but if you're seeding like hundreds of trays, it can be difficult to like keep on, keep uh, you know, keep the consistency over, over that many trays. Um, yeah. But um, I, I'd love to hear uh, just getting closer to wrapping up, which is like what uh, running the business for a couple of years now, what would you say is like the single most difficult challenge you had to overcome uh, running this business? Um, just trying to just like marketing, trying to get more clients, trying to get more like customers and stuff like that, um, was the difficult part. Cause I, I believe I'm, I'm that kind of person that can talk and it, and it takes a lot out of me kind of thing. Uh, yeah. so it's like, I had to like jump that barrier of like, I, I need to just keep at it and try to market and try to get, you know, be be more consistent on just reaching out to the same person because chefs they're always busy they always get they forget and whatnot so just trying to not feel like I'm, I'm being annoying kind of thing and I and I tell them like hey if you want us to stop contacting you just let us know uh, no hard feelings and whatnot but trying to overcome that and not feeling like I'm bothering them whatnot uh but also just trying to you know grow as many and trying to please pretty much everybody with varieties because a lot of people demand arugula and it's like it's not in our growing thing right now but we will probably grow it for you yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. for sure yeah no like i i feel like i can really relate to that because i was very similar where i'm i'm naturally very introverted doing sales didn't come naturally to me um, yeah. I think it really slowed down my progress. So I'm glad to see you kind of overcoming that hurdle and recognize the importance of it. Because for the first few years, I just wanted to perfect the product um, and mm -hmm. use that as a way to sell, which works. It definitely works. But I think the skill set of learning how to sell, how to market, how to you know form these relationships uh, with, with your customers, I think is like invaluable for not just for the business, but for anything else you do in the future. Or just, you know, I find it's like a great life skill to have in general. Um, so it took me a little, a little longer than it did for you, but like you can see by focusing on that, 
that you've been able to move to a commercial facility and like expand production. So like, you know, you really need like sales drives the business. And it seems like oh. you, you, you got the message pretty early on to focus <laughs> on that, which is great. I think there is like people that farm really want to grow food. Like that's their passion, not necessarily right. sales is what I've noticed. Uh, you kind of have to do both. You got to wear all the hats, uh, the metaphorical hats of running a business and sales is an important one that can really slow down or speed up the progression that you have in the business. So I'm glad to see that, uh, that you took the right path with, with that early on. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, one question I ask everyone, which I, th I love this question. I, I don't know why, but I just do, uh, if you can go back in time to when you started your farm two years ago and meet the younger version of Jacob, what advice would you give him to set him up for success? Uh, just keep moving forward. Don't get discouraged in a crop when it fails, when it, it, you grew like hundreds of them and then it just fails. Uh, just pinpoint the source and reach out to seed suppliers and just see your environment. Just don't get so frustrated over the little things where there could be a factor that has caused it. Uh, just, just redo it and keep on just moving forward. Yeah. That, that, that's good advice. Yeah. Like you can, you can very easily lose sleep over kind of the small things. And, um, and the more, the more of running a business you kind of do, you realize more and more of, the, of, of things are the small things. And, mm -hmm. and, and then it kind of gives you a little bit more perspective on what are really the big things in, in running a business that are problematic and what to not lose sleep over versus what to lose sleep over is simple, yeah. simple way to put that. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, it, it's been great having you on. If, if, uh, if listeners want to connect, uh, more with you to learn about your farm or yourself, where can they find you online and on social media? Uh, on social media, on IG or Facebook, just pinkies micros. Um, and then on our website, pinkiesmicros.com, and just, just type in Google pinkies micros and we'll pop up with our goat and logo and stuff like that on there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And, and for anyone that, that wants to kind of see what, like what I would consider a higher quality product, definitely check out their Instagram. You can kind of get a sense of like the quality of the product. And I think that'll help farms, um, kind of get a sense of what, what I would consider, um, that. And I think it's, it's just helpful to get a visual understanding of, um, what a high quality micro is. I think that's something that I struggled with early on is like, what is a high quality microgreen? And it was just like, I'm just guessing. And uh, it's nice to have so many farms in the community now that you can kind of like bounce ideas off of and stuff. So it's really mm -hmm. cool. Uh, if anyone wants to see that, check out their, their Instagram for sure. But yeah, it's been great to have you on Jacob. Thanks so much for, for sharing all your wisdom from the last two years. And uh, I appreciate it, Jonah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Microgreens Mastery Podcast. To access a wealth of insights, just click the subscribe button, stay notified about each new episode, and enjoy all of this wisdom for free. If you're ready to supercharge your Microgreens business, visit microgreensconsulting.com for a gold mine of guides and resources. We've transformed thousands of Microgreens businesses, and you're invited to join the success story. Let's stay connected. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok at Microgreens Consulting for exclusive content and expert tips and wisdom. If you found this episode insightful, please leave us a review, spread the word, and let's share Microgreens magic with the world. Until next time, let curiosity fuel your growth and may happiness be your harvest. Happy growing, everyone.